Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. So today we're going to try something a little bit different. Uh, Normally, we kind of give some updates on what we've been up to and then do a deep dive topic, which takes up most of the time. Uh, Both Rick and I have enough going on right now that we thought we can fill a whole episode just giving updates and allow ourselves to dive a little bit deeper into each one of them. So we'll see how this goes Um, and interested to hear any feedback on the format. Uh, So yeah, what's up, Rick? What's going on? I'm still trying to catch my breath from all those pull-ups I just did. Humble brag. Yeah, well, all 10 of them. Hey, audience, did you know that Rick works out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should. I, I wish I could do more, but I, you know, 10 is pretty good for me. Yeah. So, uh, but unf- unfortunately, it's been 15 minutes and I'm still breathing hard. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, my first update today is that um, this is a, a relatively new experience for me. And I'm really, I think, blessed not to have experienced this much before, but um, I had a been working for like the past month, uh, as I mentioned on the last episode, on this revamped website for Panda Labs, um, Group Currents client. And I've also been uh, configuring a membership management platform called Mighty Networks um, for a transition we were going to launch in, you know, in May this month. Um, well, so I, I've, I built all this and then uh, simultaneously, I mentioned my partner David has been working on what will ultimately take the place of Group Current called Rehabilitation Health, um, and he's built his own little platform. And uh, so now that I've, I, it, I'm I'm not upset or anything, but like, and I want to be very clear, like this is you know we now have two options at Panel Labs in terms of you know member management platforms, and there's trade offs for both options. Um, but to kind of put a lot of work into something and, you know, that much work, like a month and ha- kind of seeing that it might not have ever see the light of day and being pretty proud of it. <laughs> I, th- I think I've experienced what a lot of employees experience with work related to like whether it's an engineering uh, task on the product or a creative effort in marketing that you spend a lot of your work on and then it just gets killed. Um, yeah. I think I've done that to people and I feel terrible now that I've experienced it. Yeah, it sucks, huh? I, I yeah. think I'm with you that I have been lucky and not not experiencing a lot of that, but that's a good point to like really be aware of it with with other people for sure. Oh, I have so much more empathy now for like engineers who get frustrated with working at companies that they work on something that never sees like that just it kind of it's not like and i don't i'm, I'm not hold, i want to be very clear on this i'm not like this is something that i support whatever decision is going to be made but mm-hmm. man like what an awful awful feeling sorry to you people out there who have to deal with this um on a daily basis yeah, especially imagine at these big companies where it's, you know, a hundred people spend two years working on something and then they're just like, nah, things have changed. We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And uh it's um man, uh you know, at least I get to be part of the decision process, right? To to move forward. Mm-hmm. Just to have this like imagine being like in a company where it's just someone randomly shows up and says, Oh, yeah, you worked on that. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. That's it. I, with you saying this, it makes me feel 
thankful. I kind of did this with Sparse back in the day. Sparse was the project that I started at Less Annoying CRM and we ended up killing after like six months of legit work. But I sort of didn't let the rest of the team in on it in the same way I normally would have. And in my head, it was more because of the stress and chaos of like something more like a startup. But in retrospect, it's also really good because no one except me and then the people that were working on marketing and stuff put some effort in, but like from a product standpoint, no one except me put any time in. So when we killed it, I think it sort of deflated the team a little bit, but it would have been so much worse if everybody else had worked on it. Yeah. And it probably, you, you were part of the decision to, to eliminate it. So it probably wasn't as bad for you as in terms of wasted effort. Yeah. And I think in like a founder entrepreneur type, you almost go into everything thinking it's an experiment. And there's a difference between like, we tried this, we learned from it and it didn't work versus I worked on this and then my boss killed it. Like those are two different feelings, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm what I'm experiencing right now is closer to the end to the latter of of getting killed, but um but even, not even close. Like I, I still like I I have empathy for, but I can't really imagine uh being in that situation and how much it would totally suck, especially if you cared about the work that you did. Yeah. This is um, a very about, good reminder. Yeah, so <laughs> just a reminder out there, to, you know, be, if you're a leader and you're in a situation where you have to make a change, um, be really thoughtful about about that. And ideally, you know, don't put yourself in situations where people are working, really good people are working on things that are important to them that you're not confident matter. Um, yeah. Because they're, like time is the most precious resource, yeah. especially for good people like that care about what they're making. So what, what about, what about you? What you got going on? Um, so the first thing on my list is, uh, the, the PPP money, the payroll protection program or whatever it stands for, uh, came through for less annoying CRM. So that's nice. Um, I, I assume everyone's sort of heard of this, but if you haven't, this is like the, one of the biggest parts of the government stimulus to support the economy with like all the stuff that's going on right now around COVID-19. So, uh, any, I think supposedly it's for small businesses, but any business, uh, like a lot of non-small businesses have been getting this too. It's been in all the headlines, but, uh, we applied and got almost $300,000 in relief money or whatever, which is just, just an absurd amount of money. I mean, I, we've never had this much money in the bank before, so it's kind of a weird feeling. <laughs> and are you going to use it a hundred percent on payroll? Well, uh, so if I can go on a little rant about how stupid I think that this this uh, legislation is, um, in theory, yes, basically it's a loan technically, but you don't have to pay the loan back if it's used on payroll or rent or utilities. But the thing is, so we're going to use it all on payroll, rent, and utilities, but then the money that would have been spent on that, now we have that $300,000 to spend on something else. So it's like... We are not going to do this, but in theory, we I could just be like, I'm paying it all out to myself. That's the government just gave Tyler King three hundred thousand um, dollars. So we're not going to do that. But there is kind of the question now: what what do we do with the money? What um, what 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 do you do with the money that is now not being spent on payroll? Right, right. Exactly. Like, and it's kind of silly because I guess there's like at the end of the day, this is just money coming into a bank account that you're going to say like somehow accounting wise on a piece of paper this money you know, what came in, but this money was different than all the other money. And this money went out for payroll and it's going to cause like this, like hump in your bank account. Um, right. and so what, do, yeah, what do you do with the hump? 
Yeah. And, you know, in theory, the money is for like we wouldn't have applied for it if there weren't some kind of economic uncertainty caused by the recession that's coming. Um, So uh, short term, I think this is easy. We're going to hang on to it in case we need it. Uh, We've already had a 1.5% drop in revenue, which compared to a lot of businesses is nothing. But we were over the same period of time, we should have had a 4% increase in revenue. So like net, we've lost a lot of money, but the 300,000 is quite a like we didn't need, we do not yet need $300,000, but we had to apply for it because like maybe six months from now we will need it, right? Who yep, knows? Yep. And that's the, the answer- way the application was phrased is uncertainty was the word, right? Totally, totally. Um, and anyone who is in business right now that isn't, I mean, I mean, anyone technically in business right now can qualify under those. Yeah. S- yes, absolutely. Which is why everyone did apply. But so there, there's a, I think I honestly think that we have not seen anywhere near the worst of this, even though all of our numbers at Less Annoying are coming back, our churn has leveled off. We're actually net positive this month, like actually pretty decently net positive this month. I still think over the next 12 months, it's going to be a bloodbath for the economy in general. I don't know what it'll do to Less Annoying specifically. It's funny. I feel the same way, but like I see the stock market coming back up. I all these signs are telling me I'm wrong. So, and, and you know the mall. I you know I can look down into the outdoor mall in downtown Salt Lake, and stores are opening back up. I guess uh, why do you feel that way? I feel that way too. I can't really articulate why, other than it just makes sense to me. So the two things I would look at: one, unemployment is higher than it's been since the Great Depression. I think actually close to what it was in the Great Depression. Normally, when you say, you know, since the Great Depression, you mean like the Great Depression was a 10 and right now we're at a two. The Great Depression was a 10 and we're at like a seven or something. Um, and if you think about how recessions work, yeah, the thing that caused this one could get fixed. Like, you know, maybe we get the health crisis under control and stuff. I'm even skeptical about that. But let's say we do. The way it works is not, well, the problem's gone. Now everything's back to normal. It's all these like downstream effects where if a, you know, 30% of the country's out of work for two months. It, that's, you know, that means less consumer spending. It means more unemployment payments going out. Like this, these things have ripple effects. And then the way other recessions have worked is that takes down other industries. So we've only seen the uh, direct effects. We've seen travel, entertainment, big events. Those things have gotten destroyed. We haven't seen the second, third, fourth wave of the economic ripples here, and I, they have to be coming. I think. I mean, I don't know if you've read much about the food supply um, mm. issues, but like I, I saw somewhere in 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 Europe, there's a, a potato surplus, and so uh, there, there, people are being encouraged to eat potatoes multiple times a week, and you don't know what that does to other food supply, mm-hmm. like food, you know, industries. Then you've got on the other side of things the meat shortage that's happening now. Like you, you, I heard, uh, some from someone that in Salt Lake, if you walk into a, a Harmon's or something, they'll only let you buy two pieces of meat, two things of meat. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but there, there, there is stuff like that, that we haven't seen yet. And we're just at the beginning of. Yeah. So it's hard to predict what will happen. The people who are bullish right now, I think would just argue, yes, all that's true, but the government spent $3 trillion and that's roughly equivalent to what the damage to the economy would have been, and it's just going to smooth the whole thing out. And if you look at the Great Depression, it probably wouldn't have been the Great Depression if the Fed had known what it was doing at the time and stuff like which, like they just didn't have, they weren't prepared for it the way we are now. 
Yeah. That, that's the optimistic case. I don't know. But you but you still if you were going to place a bet right now on the economy, it sounds like you'd you'd bet on 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 a longer a, a bigger um negative effect happening than what we've seen so far. Yeah, I I think that's right. And I'll say for less annoying serum because what started this was talking about the PPP money, what um I'm letting myself be optimistic enough to think that there's no way this is over. I don't see any way this is over, but maybe the worst month won't be worse than April was. Like we lost about $35,000 in ARR in April. Um, If that right now we've made cuts where we can do that every month through the end of the year, I'm allowing myself enough optimism to think, I don't think it's going to be that bad, but I think it could be like plateau, like net zero growth for 12 months or something like that. Well, the other way to look at this too, is that if, if you, like how long will some of these relief efforts last? Um, mm-hmm. So maybe we haven't actually seen the cliff yet. Um, maybe like the unemployment effect has not actually hit because of the uh, PPP program, because of the, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, the, what did they call the stipend that they gave everyone in the US? Yeah, I, I forget, but the, the, tax- the check that they just sent to everybody who makes yeah. less than 70000 or something like that. Yeah, so once that plus like what the average American has like three months of savings, once all that runs out in the next three months, maybe mm-hmm. that's when shit really hits the fan. Yeah, and also, you know, all these states are reopening right now, which... I think pretty credibly people are accusing the governors who are doing it of it's just a way to not pay unemployment benefits anymore because they're like, well, technically you're allowed to work. It's like no one's no one's buying anything. So there's still no jobs, but no one gets unemployment benefits that way. So, yeah, there there could definitely be like anyway. That's, I, that, that's actually interesting. Like there's a whole like second order effect too on the uh, states right now that are having to shell out tons of unemployment money. They're also uh, Medicaid um, is going to be is a huge budget crunch, um, which is getting hit. I've, I've, I've seen reports that some states are considering uh, reducing their Medicare eligibility to, to offload to the federal government in terms of the cost of the um, newly uh, underemployed. And yeah. so uh, the, the, whole, the state budget issues are really interesting too, from a recession yeah. standpoint. Absolutely. And so anyway, like neither of us, I think are arrogant enough to pretend we know it will happen. We both are like vaguely like this isn't over. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. Mostly because I have a feeling, not because I'm like some expert. I, right. I, and I, you you I, can't I, even trust experts, though. No, nobody knows. Is yeah, the reality. but it is interesting to talk about and think logically about it because oftentimes you can make more sense to yourself of it. But at the end of the day, we're going to be surprised by something in the next three months. Yeah. So th- on the topic of PPP, I think the plan right now is we're just going to we're going to hang on to the money and say, like, I think if if we don't get worse than what April was. We can make it through it without that money. We still already cut a lot of costs. So part of the money will just go towards restoring that. But what I am wondering is if, if at the end of this, we come out of it with this still a lot of the money that we got in intact, like one option is go invest pretty, like we could hire two people now, honestly. I mean, we're not going to, because again, who knows what the future holds, but like if we wait 12 months and it hasn't gotten terrible, do we go spend that money like that? Or do we say, you know, I'll be honest, when stuff started getting bad in March and I was looking at the finances, I was like, I wish we had more money in a kind of rainy day fund here, but it's so hard to ever justify save. It's so hard to say I could go make another hire or I can just like put money under my mattress. It feels like putting the money to work is always smarter, but this might be a rare opportunity to say, let's just hang on to this cash. 
at, and you're in a totally different situation now where your growth is starting to level off. You've got 16 team members you really care about. Like, yeah, it gets, um, it gets more important to have uh, rainy day funds in the position that you're in. It's a more mature business. I, 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 it feels like you should be putting it away. Honestly, that's my first gut reaction. What do you think? That's definitely where I'm leaning. I was talking about this with my dad, who's an accounting professor, so he has a lot more background in this than I do. And um, th- obviously, there's different ways of looking at it. But I was leaning towards something after that conversation, something along, along the lines of, let's just make a rule from now on. We need two times uh, monthly revenue in the bank, which isn't even that much. Like A lot of people would say six, but let's just say two. We, we were at two weeks before this. Um, and then just say, as our MRR goes up, increase that amount in the bank and just always stay at that level or above. Uh, that might be a nice rule to follow. Something I was talking about with him that it was kind of interesting. When you start a business, if something goes wrong, you can cover the expenses from your personal money pretty easily. Like, oh yeah, we've got $100 a month in server fees. Like, Just go into your checking account and pay it. And then you wake up one day and you're like, if we had to go a month without revenue, that's $220,000. I can't cover that from the amount in my checking account. And that I think that's the biggest thing that changed is for a long time, I was like, I have this fallback. And then you wake up one day and you're like, that is not a viable fallback anymore. Yeah. You, your your personal bank account is no longer large enough to cover um, or like maybe you don't like large enough, whatever the right word is, you need a, another set of funds dedicated to the business. Yeah. It still hurts though. It's still like, I want to go hire somebody. It's a tough decision. I feel like this is something that, yeah, interesting. I don't know the answer. You could always just count on more, um, if this happens again, situation getting more ppp i know that's what's because that's what you know american airlines who did stock buybacks with all their money that's what they did is they're like the government will save us if anything goes wrong here it's kind of crazy actually it does create yeah. this sort of uh like we're talking about it right now like maybe it's better just to assume that the government will bail out and you know if you don't maybe you're at a comp- competitive disadvantage yeah because all our all our competitors are going to take that risk right yep <laughs> Oh, <laughs> what a mess. I don't want to be part of the problem, but like, it's tough. Anyway, we're, there's not an answer to it. Right now, I'm leaning towards holding on to the money because Less Annoying Serum is a more conservative type of company. I think the startup to last mentality is more conservative. And even if we never need the money, I don't want to be, I don't want someone to be able to credibly accuse me of being like irresponsible with the cash situation, which I think two two months ago you could have accused me of. Well, that's a, that, that, that's great. I, I like that. Do it. Put the cash cool. away and, and feel good about it. <laughs> well, that's the plan for and, now. And then um, brag yeah. and, and then start bragging about it to your employees, sort of like you bragged about not raising VC in the past. Well, what I'm going to do is go to every company that was started after this and be like, you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. You're irresponsible. And be like, well, the government gave me mine. <laughs> it's, it's a new metric that you can tell um, cash savings per employee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, uh, how about you? Back to you. Um, my second update is uh, I, you know, I mentioned this on the last podcast briefly. I wasn't really prepared to talk about it, but uh, um, we are going to dissolve Group Current in July and file an early 2020 tax return. That decision has has been agreed upon by David and I, who's my partner at Group Current. And I don't have a ton of update right now, other than like I'm putting together a sort of uh, postmortem um, of like the story of like how we came to be what what we accomplished, um, you know, and then what, uh, 
what went well and then what we learned. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll post that on my, um, on my blog at some point. And uh, if anyone's interested, they can check it out. And if, if, if it's a topic worth diving into on the, on the podcast, happy to share more details. But at the end of the day, it's like, I think as far as, you know, a company dissolving, it's really straightforward. I was surprised at like how straightforward it's been just working through, you know, the divorce, not, I wouldn't call it. Yeah, I guess it is a divorce, but like working through It's like an amicable divorce. Yeah. And so, um, I think, uh, if I had been in the situation, maybe five years ago, I would have handled it a little differently. Um, and it would not be as amicable. And, um, I am like part of my reflection so far has been pretty proud of myself, um, and my partner in terms of how we're both handling it and making it easy. Um, and we'll continue to, we may do business again together as a result of this. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I, I kind of mentioned this last time, but I, I think it'll be really interesting, interesting to read your postmortem and I hope you put time into it. Cause I could see that being, a like you just don't see that type of content. You see like our business totally failed and here's the postmortem on that or huge success and we exited or whatever. I'm just not sure I've ever seen just kind of a boring in a good way story about like a more realistic outcome for a business. Yeah. I guess there, there, there's probably a lot of businesses in between there who they, they get to 50 K in sales, hundred K in sales, and it doesn't support two people and it just shuts down one day quietly or it yeah. goes, you know, just like stays alive and stops bringing in money and the partners hate each other I, or they, they, they leave amicably. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll be interested to read that. Uh, cool. Um, yeah, that was so, so yeah, like I feel good about that, but I'm, you know, it's sort of, I can't really talk about it or really say it's kind of be a true postmortem until around July. So, um, I'll, I'll update again in July. Great. And you're, when did, when did the time savings kick in for you? Like, are you already basically done spending time on group current? Um, the amount of work I was putting in per week, on the member management platform and the website. Um, uh, that was like way more than what I'll be doing going forward. So, um, you know, it'd be, it'll be very manageable going forward, significant time savings, uh, a day, a day a week. Kind cool. of so a day a week right now. And then in July or something, another half day, day a week. Awesome. I'll say, I'll say a half day. Cool. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so next up for me, I, this might be a terrible discussion because it's going to be like super abstract and hand wavy, but <clears throat> so I've been, uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been, I, th- so the, the background here is I was reflecting on what some regrets I have are about running less running CRM, which led me to, I mean, one way to look at this is like, what are things that I think we're worse at than we should be? And looking back, something I regret is that we didn't previously invest more in what I'll call optimizing customer service, which we actually talked about on the podcast, whatever it was, four, four weeks ago, I think. Um, and by optimizing customer service, it, I could mean different things. And we've been doing some of these projects recently, and I feel really good about them. And when I look back, the ones we've done in the past have been huge successes. Some of the best things, because our number one expense at Less Knowing CRM is the customer service team. And I look at us now and I'm like, why have we not done more to make that team as effective as possible. And so I'm kind of, that's, that was the regret because it, 
anyway, so I kind of examined, well, what was the root cause of that? And I think what it is, I've been viewing the word optimize, or there are other words for this, maybe you can propose a better one, but I've been viewing it as like, effectively, it's a zero-sum game where there's I get some value, the, the employee who works for me gets some value, and the customer gets some value. And the optimization is basically extracting more of that value from those other two parties and capturing it myself, which I feel really icky about. Um, and of course, that there is a type of thing like that. We've all experienced that where some company like switches from phone support to now you have to talk to a chat bot on some website and it just doesn't work. Um, so I think my fear of that has really kept me from investing in this stuff. And what I have had a bit of a realization about recently is there's a it's not that hard. I thought it was a slippery slope where anything I do with this, I might fall into that category. And now I think I can identify the good kind of optimization versus the bad kind. And so the framework I've got for thinking about this now, let me know what you think about this, is there's that zero-sum game type, which I want to avoid. There's waste. Well, I, I, I want to be yeah. clear about zero-sum game real quick before you go mm-hmm. too much further. When you say zero-sum game, you're you're speaking from one stakeholder's perspective, not from mm-hmm. another. So like it's not zero sum for you necessarily, the business owner, is it? Or are you saying that because you take away from other people who are paying you that it ultimately is zero sum? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that there's a pie that's being divided and I want a bigger slice of the pie, basically. Okay. Um, or that in order for me to get the outcome I want, either employees or customers are going to have a worse experience, which I, I don't want to do. Got it. Which is zero sum over, over a course of time. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I follow you. Sorry about that. Uh, and then can you start over with the framework? Yeah. So there's, let's, there's three types of optimization and some over one project might accomplish multiple types. One is the zero sum game where it's just like a certain amount of wealth is being created and I'm going to get more of it, which means someone else is going to get less. Um, the second is waste reduction, which is basically saying I'm putting effort in, but it's not providing value to anybody. So I just stop putting the effort in. And the value that people receive doesn't change. And then the final one is, I had a term for this that I forget, but like increasing value where you say, I'm going to spend the same amount of time I'm putting in, but do it more effectively. And in and so make the pie bigger. And yeah, I'm going to take a slice of that, but the customers and the employees can take a slice too, and everyone's better off. Yep. Um, so that's kind of the framework I'm thinking of with, with it now. And when when we look at these optimization projects, we can say, which of these three does it fit into? And again, sometimes it might be multiple. And if there's any zero-sum aspects to it, just don't do that. And if there's these other two, that that kind of gives me the emotional permission to like, the same way I optimize marketing and product, I really go hard after those things. I just haven't taken my ambition and my passion and put that towards optimizing customer service or internal team management for the same reason. And now I feel like I have permission to do it. And I feel really good about that. Yeah, so um, that's great. I, I've always, we've always ha- like struggled with conversations in that area um, because it kind of gets up against that uh, almost emotional, uh, passionate thing mm-hmm. that uh, prevents the discussion. So that's cool. Can you give some examples of what would fall in each of those buckets for you? Yeah. So a zero sum one would be something along the lines of listen, we're spending too much time on phone support. So we're going to make it like, harder to find the phone number on our website. That would help us, right? Our customers wouldn't call us as much. And honestly, it probably wouldn't hurt our sales that much because no one it's not like anyone else is competing with us on phone support, but it would be bad for customers to do that. So I don't want to do that. 
a waste reduction is, we talked about this actually a lot in our podcast episode about this. I kind of kept saying, I want to do the good kind, but I couldn't articulate what the good kind is. Waste reduction is we are spending time on something, an, an employee of mine is spending time on something, trying to help a customer, but the customer is not actually helped. So an example of this would be a customer once they have a question, they can't immediately find an answer. So they email us and we email them back a link to a help article. It would be better for the customer and for us if the help article were just easier to find, right? It's not like we're unwilling to talk to them. It's that they didn't want to talk to us in the first place. This isn't like good, high-touch customer service. This is annoying. We didn't make our help articles available enough to them. Um, and then I'd say like the making the the pie bigger type of thing, we're also working on a little bit of these. I think there's more opportunity for waste reduction, but one example would be, you know, we're doing phone calls with customers and we're spending a ton of time just going over stuff they could watch in a beginner's guide video. So instead, we're going to try to say, watch the beginner's guide video before the call. And then we're going to spend this call. It's We're not putting less time in. We're still spending the full hour talking to you. We're going to spend that time actually customizing your account, which is way more valuable for the customer. Yeah, I like it. Um, and the, 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 they're all good examples. What the, the thing that unifies them, unifies them in terms of how you're categorizing them is the end user is the person who you're optimizing for. Um, so what's ever best for them first and then working mm-hmm. your way backwards. Um, there that's, yeah, I like it a lot. If anything that helps us, like, I love, um, talking about those last two things. Um, I really hate talking about the first thing too. Mm-hmm. So now that we can sort of have some language around, Hey, let's talk about this subject to be clear. We're not talking about the zero sum stuff. Let's talk about it. What's the waste reduction? What's the, uh, uh, what do you, what'd you call the third bucket? Uh, you know, I had a term for it and I blanked on it. I don't know. If I wrote a blog post, I'd come up with a catchy term. <laughs> it's almost like the pie expander, like yeah. value, value creation. Value creation. Yeah, I yeah. think that's good. Those are the, the op, optimizing for value creation are, are my most, are the most fun ones to talk about. Yeah, I think that's true. I think specific to less annoying CRM, we have the most opportunity for waste reduction because if you get, if, if you find yourself in a position like less annoying CRMs in where you already have employees who are doing this and stuff like that, one of two things are probably true. Either you've been stingy and you've underinvested in this, in which case value creation is probably the big opportunity, or you're where we are, which is we've invested heavily, but because we haven't done any of this optimization, we haven't been careful about, are we making the right investments? So I think we, this is unique to us, but we have a lot of waste reduction opportunities. Yeah. And then you can reinvest that, that waste savings um, into value creation. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the ultimate goal is you want to increase the pie as big as you can get it. So anyway, as we, as we continue talking about this stuff, uh, you know, in the coming months and years, I, I hope this framework is helpful. So like if I'm getting nervous about something, you can say, shut up. This isn't zero sum. This is everybody wins. And then I'll, I'll calm down and go with you. (laughs) I like it. I like it. All right. Oh, that's thanks so for sharing that. You. C- c- congrats yeah. on that reflection. Did 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 you get there by yourself, or did did your team help you get there? The final light bulb moment was by myself. And if I can tangent real quick, it was during while I was walking my dog. One of my favorite things about having a dog is I go on an hour, hour and a half walk every day now, and I listen to podcasts. And what what happened is they were talking about something on the podcast that really turned me off. They were doing the zero sum type optimization, and anytime that happens when I listen to a podcast, I pause it. And I'm like, if I were on the podcast, what would I say right now? And so I argued with them in my head. And I had that light bulb moment, which is like, that's why this is bothering me. And that's why all this other stuff would be fine. That's awesome. I like that tactic of pausing, 
listening to a podcast and then pretending you're on the show and like arguing, that's a great way to like clarify your position on topics. Yeah, I think I, A, you kind of, it's a good way to come up with ideas. And even if you already had an idea, like I think in this case, I think I already knew this, but it's like, if until you have to say it to somebody, you can't really, you don't have a framework for describing it. So yeah, I, I've, I've been enjoying that a lot. That's cool. Um, I need a dog. Are you, are you thinking about getting one? Well, I, I've, I want a dog really bad. Sable is allergic, mm. so we're not having dogs. Um, but I grew up with dogs, so. Uh, Get I mean, a pet turtle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That just sounds like work with no benefit. It's almost no work, but I agree there's, I have a turtle. I agree there's no benefit, but it's, it's very close <laughs> to zero work. <laughs> well, um, maybe, maybe down the road. Um, uh, another update I have is this was my first experience with my own business. People keep, we filed taxes every year, but we never had taxes because we had such a big, um, NOL, which is a net operating loss carry forward that we never actually had to pay taxes once we got profitable. So, um, the business taxes for leg up ventures went like super smoothly. I had profit, so I paid, I have to pay taxes, but that is all done as of today. So, I am uh, nice. done with taxes for 20, uh, 20, 2019, both personally and professionally. And uh, man, I it's it's kind of weird. I I it, I, I never have used an accountant before um, for anything that I've had been responsible for well, that I've done myself. And I really got a lot of value out of this. This this guy found a, a way for me that I wasn't um, reimbursing myself for a home office deduction. Um. I don't know if you knew about this, but like he basically brought me this mm-hmm. uh, accountable plan concept and it, it was the, it's the equivalent of like 500 bucks a month that uh, I wasn't recognizing as an expense. I wasn't taking out of the business as a tax-free reimbursement. And I mean that just that alone, like in one month, two months pays for the fee of filing. Plus I didn't have to worry about any of the figuring out how to file. So I really got the benefit of a, of a knowledgeable CPA this year. And it makes me want to, like use them again. Yeah. So you, this guy did both your personal and your business taxes? Just business. I've always done my own personal taxes on like TurboTax because I, I wanted to know how I wanted to understand everything. Mm-hmm. With the business side, like I, now that I've experienced him and I trust him and I highly recommend him, if anyone needs a CPA, I'm like, I have a recommendation. I, I, I'm like wondering why I've been trying to learn something that maybe doesn't matter. Yeah. Especially because you, you've, you and I have always butted heads a bit where I'm more of a like do it in house type of person and you're like outsource it unless it's your core competency. And there are very few businesses for which filing taxes is the core competency. At Zane Benefits, it was. So that was my argument previously. But now that I'm not in that business anymore, it's like, why am I doing this? Yeah. That's great. I, hated i didn't i was i've never been the primary person responsible for filing taxes at less annoying at f- first my brother was and then someone else took over robert uh but even just being tangentially involved i it stressed me out i hated it and eventually when we finally got it on autopilot we're just we trust our accounting firm they handle it they they say sign this paper and we sign it it's such a weight off your shoulders to just not even have to think about uh, think about it and I've worked with CPAs in the past. I want to be clear about that. Um, this this CPA in particular, I, th- I think what I've experienced for the first time is someone who understands my business enough, and you know, it speaks my language enough. Like it's a personality match for me mm. that I can really trust. And as a trusted advisor, 
And that is a first for me, I think, in in a business with a third party. And man, like if you can find that, use it. And it's probably not just taxes that this applies. It's probably other areas too, where mm-hmm. if you find someone who's super specialized and they speak your language, you can build trust with them. And they're, you know, they do the things necessary to like make good like recommendations. Like it's worth a couple thousand bucks a year. Yeah. I also have learned like the, you know, the way a lot of business gets done now, if you need some other professional services person and you don't know where to go, you can go to that accountant, that CPA and say, who would you recommend? They hang out with people like themselves. Of course they do. How did you find him in the first place? You know what I did? um, I asked for referrals. No one recommended him. I got all these people. I compared reviews. I found him online. He had the most reviews by far of like anyone within like a walking distance of my, of where I work. And he, uh, but no one recommended him. It was weird. Like my network was recommending all these different firms, but he had the highest reviews and, uh, I called him. He responded immediately. Uh, I also noticed that he was using like higher tech stuff, like, Mm. uh, e-signatures, Calendly, like things that, um, were more me. Does that make sense? That's a great sign. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and I just, and I did a, a, a kind of a call with him just to qualify and, that qualification call, man, he made me feel so at ease and safe. And because I was pretty uncertain about how to file taxes for a business, this being my first year filing for Legit Ventures. And mm-hmm. he made me feel like very confident that it was going to be a piece of cake and he'd just take care of it. That's great. Yeah. I, I went through such a journey finding our accountants where we went through different firms. Well, at first, Bracken was doing it himself, which was a waste of time. And then we went through different firms and we hated every single one we dealt with just because, like you said, they're not, they don't get your business. So for example, almost every accountant out there is like, they just assume what my client wants is for me to minimize their tax burden, which is reasonable. That's not what I, I was like, make it so I don't have to think about this. If I have to pay 20% more in taxes, that's fine. I don't want to play any weird fucking games with taxes. And nobody would understand that. <laughs> he get, this is a per, That's a perfect example of, a, of this guy. Like uh, he, he makes me aware of like the trade-offs. But like, for example, you can make a quarterly tax payment to like as a safe harbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably know this, right? Like it's, uh, it's like the equivalent of an estimated tax payment for yeah. an individual. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't like, don't, I don't care about the, I just, let me pay interest, the small 1% interest rate on yep. not paying it. And he's <laughs> like, cool. That sounds good. As long as you know about it. And uh, just not having to like fight, like fight that, like that me thinking about a estimated tax payment and budgeting for that on a spreadsheet versus like just paying an interest fee. Maybe if that happens, he got that right away. I was like, okay, we can, we're going to work fine together. That's such a good sign. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, what about what, any, what other updates do you have? Yeah. So this next one will be something you're familiar with. Uh, So I made one of the classic mistakes that a lot of tech founders make 10 years ago when we started, which is I built the app that our product is on the same server, web domain, website, subdomain, everything as the marketing site, the stuff you access when you're not logged in. And when you're a solo or if when you're the founders are the only people doing marketing, this is great. Because it's like, I want to add some tracking rather than go out and find some third-party tool that can do this. Uh, I'll just build it and it'll, it'll be faster. It'll be free. And it works great when if you're a solo founder or and I had a co-founder, but he never did any of this. The problem is, of course, then you hire someone and it's like, can you go do some marketing? And they're like, sure, I just need to make, you know, I'm going to make some new blog posts and I'm going to make a funnel with like a 
you know, thing for them to download this thing, get on the newsletter. And I'm just like, well, I have to deploy code. I have to write and deploy code for you to, to do anything to the marketing site. And it, I've been this huge bottleneck preventing anyone from getting any marketing done. And you did the same damn thing at Zane Benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how we solved the problem? You created a CMS. At which we also, we have a CMS at Less Knowing Serum, but it's like, then you want something other than that CMS, right? <laughs> you need another feature on the CMS that's not covered. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, or you need a new design. Yeah. Like all kinds of things. Um, I mean, I just, I just want to just give people context on this. Tyler and Ben Diltz at Zane Benefits were like classic culprits of this in the early days where we worked together. And um, this was like before HubSpot and Salesforce were really taking off in SaaS as a service. Like SaaS was really conquering all the different elements of B2B. Um, we had our own custom-built CRM. We had our own custom-built marketing automation platform. We had our own uh, custom-built blogging system. What else did we have? Oh, oh, email tracking, mm-hmm. uh, newsletter system. Yep. Every, I think if you named it, like we a, built HubSpot ourselves, basically. <laughs> yes, we did. And uh, and then when when the CRM stopped working one time, we decided not to go to Salesforce, but to create a new CRM from scratch, which we built. And event, and I think the third CRM we built was we said, oh, maybe we should just outsource to Salesforce. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, like that's you you are really good at that. Well, and I actually really value those experiences, even if they were bad for the business, I learned so much as a coder building all that stuff. So I don't regret doing it because you had to pay the price later and I got out. But I wouldn't even necessarily say I regret doing it at Less Annoying Serum. I will say number for 100% what I should have done is put the app on a different subdomain. So that because one of the problems, I mean, what I'm obviously leading towards here is we're going to try and separate these things. Even if the app, even if it was all one code base, if the app were on a different subdomain, you can point www somewhere else without disrupting the app. So first we have to like tear these two things apart, migrate the whole app to a different subdomain, and then we finally can start the actual project of getting our marketing site moved over to something. I saw someone tweet about this exact thing the other uh, week. Yeah, Tyler Tringus was talking uh, about this. Yeah, right? and I and I looked at it and I said, well. I mean, technically, like that's not necessarily what you have to do, but it, it's nicer. It, isn't there a way to like develop in a way that it's your app is sort of domain agnostic as a as a best practice, and so that whether you're on www, whether you're at app dot, um, you can quickly untangle. Um, yeah, I mean, it depends on the code base. Our app is domain agnostic, but the problem is it can't be www because the if you want to use HubSpot or Webflow or whatever, you have to change the DNS so that when someone goes to www.lessoningserum, it doesn't even the request doesn't even go to your servers. So we are domain agnostic ish, but we have to move it. It's just a migration project, you know. N- not that difficult though, right? Like compared to, I yeah, mean, you're it, right. Yeah, like even if if you had like let's say you had the app at app dot and the you know, your other app for the website at www, like would that save you a lot of time here? Oh, just like you know, over ten years, you build up all these links going to various places, and now those are going to become dead links if we don't forward oh, them the correctly. redirects. Yeah, I didn't think about the URLs. It'll be fine, but you still thing- have, you'd still have that problem. Like you'd still have that problem, like transitioning the site. Are you talking about the app URLs? Yeah, we would like when someone logs in, we'd say go to app.lessoningserum.com slash login instead of www.lessoningserum.com slash login. Oh, so it's not, not a huge deal, but they all this, of these little things add up. Is this know? because you're not using like 
relative links? You're using absolute links? No, we're using relative too, but you know, like we have a G2 listing that links to the wrong place. And uh, uh, there are all these edge cases, I see. Yeah. It's not a huge thing and we're capable of doing it. But anyway, like if I could go back in time, I would at least separate out this, the app subdomain from www. And I still might make the same decision I did, which is like home home make everything because in, in the short term, it is faster and better, I think, until someone who doesn't have the ability to write and deploy code needs to do marketing projects and then it becomes a liability. We're at that point. We're well, well past that point. So it's going to be a huge project, but I'm looking at switching to Webflow for our website. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of Webflow? I like it. Um, I've, I used it to make my wedding website and it feels like the type of thing to me if if all you're trying to do is make a really sil- uh, simple website and you don't care about the details, it's probably more work. Like it's it's almost like a whole different technology you have to learn. But if you want total control, which I do, with while still having the ability to say a marketer can go in there and change the copy of the homepage or something like that, I think it's a really nice marriage of those two things. Yeah, I love Webflow. Um, what I haven't experienced yet is they have this designer concept, which is where the complicated creation happens. Um, but then they also have this editor functionality, which you give like the rank, you know, the person who's, let's say you build a website and you want to let people edit content. They have less, um, that interface mm. gives them less control over the CSS and JavaScript and just the tech, like more of the basic HTML. But I think they have an interface for that. Um, the thing I like most about Webflow is I think that where they are now versus where they're in a year, where they're going to be in a year is like, they're going to, they're adding so many features every week. Mm-hmm. I, they're the they're. I would bet on them coming out with new features and continuing to innovate on top of what they've already built, which is always nice to ride as as you uh, as you implement a new service. Yeah. Whereas I look at HubSpot and I'm kind of like, that's kind of yesterday. <laughs> Interesting. I, I would guess that what the stuff that Webflow is adding is more applicable to you than me because, like, I'm really just using it as. I think of it more as a competitor to. WordPress than anything. Like it's just a better CMS website builder. Whereas you're actually like, you know, doing no code, you're building real functionality in Webflow. Yeah. But I think at some point in time in the next few years, uh, a marketing person is going to be very interested in no code and building, you know, extensions. Like Mm. think of it as like freemium services that uh, you might want to empower them to use. And I think that's what, like where Webflow stands apart from all these other CRMSs is that, you know, in a couple of years, if you've got a marketing person who's taking this, you know, basic CMS and then saying, you know what, let's add a little, you know, micro app um, on top of it. They, they have the power to do that at Webflow today. You know, maybe not the skill set to do it. I think there's a kind of a now, you know, there's like a ability and the, you know, the ability to do it technically and then the knowledge to do it. And I think those things are going to, that gap is going to close a lot in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So actually probably in an upcoming podcast episode, I'm going to ask you to dive into that a little more because what I don't know how to do, how do you do tracking? How do you do attribution? How do you set up uh, like email capture things within Webflow? Um, I've never, I've always done that in house. So I'll be interested in your, I'm not going to ask specifically how do you do it with Webflow, but when you, when you don't control the back end, how do you chain together a bunch of tools to build like the full marketing funnel? That's something I'll be interested in discussing at some point. Uh, I'd love to talk about that on the, you said you were going to do a knowledge base as well. Is that custom coded? Uh, so we, we have our own homemade CMS for our, our kind of help site knowledge base. Um, I'm looking at other solutions for that. It's surprisingly tricky because everything, 
not everything. A lot of the good ones are built into help desks. And like, I'm very happy with our help desk. I do not want to change that. I just want the content front of the, yeah, front is our, our help desk. I mean, it's not really help desk, but that's what we use, but they don't have a knowledge base tool built in. They probably integrate with something. They do. I'm, I'm looking at, I, I've looked at that. The ones that have integrations, I'm not loving, but a lot of the good ones, it's like the knowledge base is an add-on to the help desk. It's not because it's it's a relatively simple thing. It's not that complicated. So I'm like, we could do it in Webflow, just like the blog will be one, you know, collection, and then the help articles could be another. But I don't know. I'm looking into that still. Yeah, I, I, I'm on uh, Help Scout. I know that you used this in the past, but I love I love how they've got everything integrated. I've used Front and Help Desk. I definitely prefer the email experience of front to help to help scout, but the not the integrated knowledge base and the, even the chat functionality, the beacon that they have is pretty, pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about trade-offs, I guess. Yep. Good luck with that. Anyway, yeah. Thanks. Back to you. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've, we've been about 50 minutes of updates. Do you want to keep going or? Um, I'd probably stop. Uh, I have one more, but I'll just save it for next week. Probably. Do you want to do one more or stop here? Um, well, I guess the more urgent one. Yeah, I guess I have two actually that I really need your help on. So uh, analytics tools. Um, do you recommend any sort of tool for user behavior? I can't say recommend because I've, I've, I've used stuff seven years ago, but I have sort of followed it. I mean, the way I see it is there's three main camps here. There's like website analytics, like Google Analytics and all mm-hmm. their competitors. There's more like in-app analytics, which I think Mixpanel is probably the main one of those. Um, and then they have competitors. And then there's, depending on the analytics you need, you can do a lot of it with tools like Intercom, where it's like not meant for analytics, but they have to have the analytics to send the messaging. Well, Are you're you talking about that second category? I, maybe I should talk about the outcome that I'm trying to achieve. So what I, what I want to be able to do is I'm going to be inviting people into the Leg of Health portal in the next week. And I want to track what they're clicking on and what sort of mouse click behavior that they have so that I have an understanding of whether or not they're, you know, how they're using the, the, mm. the app. And I'll, you know, I don't, I don't, I know that there's things like a hot jar that show click mapping. I think you can actually record sessions now with with some tool yeah, but i don't know if you've used, yeah have you, i don't know if you've used any of those i haven't used those but so one thing i've used that i actually really like is clicky which is sort of an old i think it's getclicky.com. it's really old school it hasn't updated in years as far or i don't know maybe they're still updating it it's basically google analytics it's not meant for necessarily user behavior tracking but one thing that's really cool about it is it's designed for websites that have a lot less volume like with google analytics they're kind of aggregating all the data together and making everyone generic with clicky they're like here is this person here's what they did um so depending if you don't need anything super sophisticated you just need google analytics but with like the ability to drill down on a specific user clicky might be a good thing to look at cool i'm gonna check this out thank you Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I had was, uh, internships. I'm, um, because there are a lot of college kids coming back, uh, prematurely from school and then not being able to go back for intern you know, travel for internships. There's a lot of, uh, really talented, um, you know, sophomores and juniors who, you know, are basically stuck at home without anything to do and are interested. Yeah. I've been, I've been reached out to several times actually by, uh, you know, 
student, you know, people who've lost their internships and want to replace it with what they're calling a micro internship, basically like a, a project front with, you know, five to 10 hours a week, unpaid that lasts anywhere from four to eight weeks. I don't know if you've got, had that ex- any reach out from there, um, but mm-hmm. I've had someone reach out and I'm, you know, they were interested in specifically startup to last.com uh, and we're in not, not knowing much about it. I wondered if there was anything that we in this measly little podcast could give an intern to work on. A technical intern or like a business? I would say more of a business intern who probably can do technical stuff to a degree. I mean, I guess there's just the generic, like, go get us more listeners. Um, we we don't, there's not any technical work to do because we're hosted by Transistor and we would have to move to our own website to like, for anyone to even be able to do work on it. Um, It'd be something around getting more listeners. Yeah, I think so. Would you be open to, if, if you know, if, let's say I took the lead on designing the project, having someone work on our behalf, on Startup to Last behalf for some period of time? Yeah, I think so. I mean, my, my only real concern would be if you kind of outsource customer acquisition, which I realize we don't have customers, but you know, uh, you run the risk of them representing the company poorly and like doing things that you or I would never do. Uh, mm-hmm. As long as we feel like we can avoid that, then yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah, I think that's more of a qualification of the person than the project. Mm-hmm. So um, cool. I'll keep that in mind. I wanted to run it by you before I did anything. Um, I'll let you know if that turns into anything. Cool. The, the other thing I'd suggest, I don't know if you're interested in this, I, I'd say you bring them on as a ricklinquist.com person and say, go get me on podcasts. Interesting. Yeah. I, I was watching Ben Ornstein um, and his like Twitter feed today, just scrolling through, like watching how he does things. You remember how he was a guest on our podcast uh, mm-hmm. maybe a year ago? He's a, he, he's really, that's how he promotes. That's how he's promoting his business and his other podcasts. So yeah. potentially the best growth opportunity for start to last uh, listeners is actually us, you and I appearing as guests on similar podcasts. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in, in attending podcasts? Yeah, um, I love being guests on podcasts. I It's a, a little inconsistent because I hate listening to that type of podcast, but I like being on the podcast. So sure. yeah. I was yeah. actually just today one launched uh, the effective founder that I was on. So yeah. So yeah, maybe the project is something around like getting us both uh, to be guests on related podcasts um, and, and just handling the reach out, the scheduling and the, you know, follow up for that. Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. I'll check. I'll, I'll let you know if anything comes of that. You had All one right. more? Yeah, but um, honestly, it just happened like right before this and I haven't digested it. So given that we're running out of time and I probably will have more to say next week anyway, let's just sit on it. Cool. How's everything else going personally? Uh, good. I mean, I'm just, I, I love working from home and being quarantined and all that. You? I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, yeah. The thing I miss the most is actually basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, I play basketball pretty religiously every Saturday, ironically at a church. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was like something I looked forward to to sort of start the weekend Saturday mornings and I have now an outdoor basketball, but the parks are empty and it's kind of, I just want to play basketball with someone. Yeah. That's tough. I I could see that coming back before a lot of stuff does though. I hope so. I hope so. Um, But yeah, uh, I will uh, sign us off. Cool. 
Hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring uh, aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. See ya.